I don't think a lot of people realize how mentally and physically taxing shooting can be. If you score a perfect score, you get an ice cream. Hi, Lieutenant Adam Morton here with the Canadian Army Podcast. And today we're going to talk about marksmanship. Marksmanship is a skill that every soldier has to have. And when you're in the Army, you're a soldier first. The Canadian Armed Forces Small Arms Concentration, or CAFSAC for short, is where shooters from across the country and even internationally come together, shoot together, and learn how to be the best marksman they can be. The event usually happens every September, but this year it's been postponed until 2021. Organizers can use this extra planning time to make the event even more operationally oriented, a direction it's been heading for the past few years. Here to talk about marksmanship, CAFSAC, and how soldiers can maximize their skills is Corporal Matt Valcour from the Governor General's Foot Guards in Ottawa. Hey, Matt. How's it going, sir? Great. So you have a lot of experience in the marksmanship world. Uh, you have six national pistol championships under your belt. You uh, rank top 10 in rifle for five years at CAFSAC. Pistol and rifle combined, three-time winner. And you competed and won in a bunch of countries, uh, US, UK, Australia. You've coached the 4DIV P-Res shooting team at CAFSAC uh, in 2017, and you've helped coach in a bunch of different environments. How did you get started in marksmanship? So before joining the reserves, uh, I was introduced to someone who was working with the Ottawa Police Service, and he was a former reservist, and he was telling me about his experiences about traveling internationally, competing, uh, and how it was all paid through with the military and just the amazing experiences he had. And that kind of gripped me. I was like, wow, I need to get myself in a position where I can do the same thing. So as soon as I got into the Governor General Foot Guards, uh, I got in contact uh, with the shooting team captain. It was uh, Captain Sean Gagnon, who was a two-times Queen's Medalist, so a very well-respected member of the community. Uh, what does that mean, by the way? What, what is the Queen's Medal, if you want to get into that real quick? So the Queen's Medal is a top shot at CAFSAC, and there's a reserve and regular force component. Uh, so he's a two-time winner. So winning that once is kind of the crown jewel of the shooting world. So having two of them is quite a big deal. So having someone like that at my home unit was very fortunate for me because I was learning from one of the best right from the start of my career. And as soon as I started the shooting team, I kind of took over my, my adult life. And that was what I did for the next eight years. I like it. You know, when you're at the unit, people are just kind of going about their day-to-day -day business, whether that's Reg Force or Reserve. But, you know, if, if you want to focus and develop your abilities and skills in the military, you know, sometimes it can be difficult to make time and space for that. Uh, how can a regular soldier within a unit or organization improve their marksmanship level beyond, you know, that of your regular day-to-day -day training and operational stuff? I think one of the best ways uh, is being surrounded by like-minded people. So for me, for example, at the unit, there was a kind of a group of people that were just really driven to become better marksmen, become better soldiers. And once we're with this group, we took the time. We've tried to find sergeants. We started trying to find leadership that could book the SATs range or book ranges like to enable us to get our training in. So we kind of started at the ground level, pushing the higher ups to try and get more trigger time. But it evolved to the point where we developed the skill set administratively to do these things on our own. So we got to the point where we could book the SATs range, where we're booking ranges, getting ammo, getting our trucks, going to the ranges, everything was done. Done the right way. It was done the right way. But yeah. again, it was. It took time for us to learn the procedures, the administrative sides. There was the fun part of marksmanship was, of course, the shooting stuff. But behind the scenes, a lot of things that, you know, privates and corporals aren't seeing, we developed those skill sets so that we can enable our own training. 
Um, what I would suggest to someone, you know, if there's a private or corporal just looking to become a better shooter, when you're issued a rifle, do some dry firing. There's some small stuff you can do to help hone your soldiering skills where a lot of guys will kind of put that stuff to the wayside. Every single time I'm handed a rifle, if it's for a parade, if it's for an exercise, it doesn't matter. I set my sight to where it belongs on the rail. I'll do a couple of dry fires every single time I hand a rifle. And I think that's one of the keys to success is using those repetitions whenever you have the opportunity to. You know, it's kind of interesting. I think everybody goes through that evolution, like just talking about soldiering where, you know, when you first start off, you're kind of focused on, you know, your core competencies, whatever that's relevant for you, whether it's, you know, patrolling or, you know, individual mill skills or whatever. But I think everybody evolves in their career or almost everybody evolves in their career to develop the back end logistical skill set because, you know, running a range isn't as simple as just putting a bunch of ammo in your pockets and uh, grabbing a rifle and going out there in a military context. You know, there's a little bit more paperwork and administration that goes into it. Absolutely. And those are one of the big hurdles for us where for the first several years, we didn't have necessarily the administrative knowledge to kind of enable our team to succeed. Uh, but over the years, after having, you know, a lot of talks, different SMEs, to really kind of understand what is required to book your own range and to enable our own training. Uh, but once we gathered that knowledge, to me at least, I tried to disseminate that to other soldiers, like, again, like from other units, we're like, oh, I, we see you guys training so often, like how can we enable that at my home unit? So I was always willing to try and share the information so others could also uh, participate in their own training. Yeah, of course. And so we've been talking about CAFSAC. Uh, what role does that play in kind of developing the spirit of marksmanship within the Army? So the idea behind CAFSAC is to gather the best or high-level shooters in one area from across Canada from different countries to compete but also to learn from one another, which is a, a huge aspect of it, and then to return to your home unit and to disseminate that information. I've been very fortunate with the Gunner General Foot Guards where that dissemination part, which is often missed, uh, has been actually enabled and thrived. So I go to CAFSAC, I learn from British shooters, American shooters, Canadian shooters. I learn these new cool tips and tricks, this new method, shooting kneeling, for example. Then I go back to the home unit where we had every Wednesday night, we had the SAS trainer available. The SAS trainer, for those who don't know, is a small arms trainer. It's electronics, so there's no actual ammunition. It's basically like a video game, but with real, you're handling a real uh, C7. So we had that every Wednesday night, and it was open to anyone in the rifle company. So the quote-unquote SMEs from CAFSAC would go disseminate the information that they learned to everyone in the rifle company. And I'm very proud to say that over the course of seven years, Every single person that came out on those Wednesday nights consistently scored marksmanship on the PWT-3. So we took it quite seriously. And I think that's something that maybe there are some other units could definitely learn from where they send the shooters to CAFSAC, but once they return back to their home units, they get kind of pushed the way, said, oh, you're a corporal, oh, you're so-and-so, you know, go off to the side. But we've been quite fortunate where, oh, we're doing a pistol lecture tonight. You know, Corporal Fortin is a great pistol shot. Would you mind actually coming up next to the sergeant and you guys can teach this lecture together? We've been very fortunate, again, at the Governor General Foot Guards to, to have been able to, to disseminate everything that we've been learning over the years. It's interesting you mentioned uh, the SATS range. And depending on where you sit within the organization and stuff that you've done, people have strong opinions of the value of... Uh, electronic slash dry firing training versus actual range time. Can you maybe talk a little bit more about the use of 
uh, electronic and dry firing versus uh, range time in a, a good training program? Yeah, I think the SATS has its limitations, but it is an amazing tool. To me, it's essentially advanced dry firing. But objectively, if I was to take a junior shooter, someone with no experience, and spend several hours in the SATS and then take him out to the range, that person will be far more prepared for the live shoot having spent that time in the SATS. If you had to choose between shooting at a SATS or shooting live, of course, I'll pick live every time. But the reality is there are constraints, time, ammunition, all these different things. Uh, but the SATS are readily available. They've already been purchased. Most of the time, they're sitting there collecting dust. Um, so it's an amazing tool for a very low cost, well, front heavy cost, but once you have it, it's there. And again, like we were, I was saying earlier, we use it every single Wednesday. If it was up to me, I'd be using it two or three times a week if I could. It is absolutely an, uh, an underutilized tool. And when you connect that to the discussion on the, kind of the back end work of, you know, transporting people out to the range, organizing all of that, if you already have a ready made built in solution, it's not equivalent in terms of live firing, but if you can just grab 20 people and go in and do exactly. some couple hours of training, then, you know, you're still getting something out of it. It might not be the perfect solution, but you're doing something. Exactly. So competition shooting, uh, people have different opinions on that, but there's been some perception that we're kind of training people to be quote unquote belly shooters or, you know, non-operational shooters versus kind of the dynamic environment of a combat situation. What role do you think CAFSAC plays in the development of that, the marksmanship mentality? So to answer your question about the, the belly shooting, uh, I think that's a little bit more of the old style, uh, I mean, CIVSAC even before then. Um, but through my experience, nationally and internationally, these competitions have been evolving quite greatly. If you were to look at kind of the one of the hardest matches at CAFSAC, the Soldiers' Cup, that's a over two kilometer run with the obstacle course. You're wearing your FFO, you've got your plates in. Once you've done the run, you arrive at the 500 meter point, I believe you start, and you do a 500 meter section attack. So to me being a soldier, the three core skills is move, shoot, communicate. And that match encompasses all three extremely well. So you're in a section context doing a section attack and you're all exhausted from the, the PT previously. But this isn't just that one match. If you look at a regular rifle match, a lot of it involves move, shoot, communicate, which are, again, those are the core skills that we're trying to reinforce. When you go in on a Tuesday night, if you're a rake force guy, you go on an exercise, these are the things you're trying to develop. But the marksmanship training, it's not just marksmanship. You really are developing the core soldier skills. And then when under stress, you can fall back on those fundamentals you've been building over the years. I think a great example of something that I learned at CAFSAC and carried over on exercise was a field expedient cider. Are you familiar with that? No. So a field experience cider is where you're shooting and you have the backstop, which is where the rounds are caught in the dirt. And you look for a point, a defined point within the dirt. So either a clump of dirt, a little piece of grass or something, and you shoot at it. And it's a way to rough zero your rifle. So my point of aim becomes a point of impact. So this is a skill that I learned at CAFSAC where if something, if my sight explodes, if something, a piece of my kit happens during the match, I can then zero my rifle on the go. So flash forward to this exercise, we're doing a defensive exercise and we're shooting at Lockheed Martin targets, the ones that pop up and down once they've been fired. We've all been handed rifles that aren't zeroed 
and I'm on the second group of people to shoot. The first group of people, no one's hitting anything because, again, these rifles aren't zeroed. Zeroed meaning, again, point of aim, point of impact. I go up. I notice I'm not hitting anything. So I find a clump of dirt way off in the distance, and I, I manipulate my sight, zero it, and then I start picking off the Lockheed Martins. And afterwards, I'm getting off the line, and the sergeant's like, and I'll never forget this, the sergeant's like, oh, Corps of Corps, you're pretty lucky your sight was on. And in my head, I just kind of laughed, but I was like, well, no. I didn't say it to him, but I was like, no, like, I did the work because, again, that, that was an amazing skill that I had learned through CAFSAC. Uh, so, again, these are those small tips and tricks, like the ways to kind of really, the way to best set up your tack vest, the way to best set up your rifle, the constraints that we're given our equipment. We're pushing the envelope on all the edges and all the the methods that we possibly can to, again, the we're competing. But when I see, oh, why is that guy shooting kneeling that way? That's a really cool way of shooting. I go over and I'm like, hey, like, can you teach me the way you're shooting kneeling? Like, that's a much more efficient way than I'm doing it. You're kind of fostering that learning environment. So you're, or you had an interesting theme there, which is really what you're doing is when you're shooting, you're kind of concentrating, maybe not specifically on the score, but that's the end game. And so you're looking at, in kind of a, an environment that only focuses on that, you're developing skills that enable you to kind of troubleshoot problems on the fly to ensure maximum performance. And then that troubleshooting capability kind of carries over into your regular soldier skills. And, and you can apply those when you're doing whatever other tasks you're doing. Absolutely. There's been time and time again where skills I learned at uh, CAFSAC or at other international competitions have carried over to my soldiering career uh, in the reserves. I think one of the, again, another good example of a, a match that carries directly over to soldiering. We're in the UK and it's, I believe, a 100 or 200 meter sprint and you run into a building that we've never been into before. And it's a four story building. We all adopt a firing position within that building. And then there's Lockheed Martin's targets popping up from 300 meters away to 500 meters away. In a normal context, a unit, the furthest you'll fire the C7 is 300 meters. So now under stress with my full kit, we run into this house, adopt a firing position, and I'm making a wind call. I'm now trying to identify the targets, trying to identify the distances. We, there's no range markers. We don't know how far they are. I'm making all these decisions in a split second in my mind because, again, the CAFSAC and the training before CAFSAC helped build up that those fundamental soldiering skills. Uh, that are often either overlooked or unfortunately undertrained, and that's the thing. It's fostering that mindset and that mental process, and that and once it's there, it's kind of always there to an extent, regardless of what you're doing. Exactly. You know, we're talking about soldiering and stuff, and to maybe somebody who's not necessarily familiar with that. Generally, when you're doing army stuff, there, there's more than shooting. You know, there there's unit tactics, logistics, planning, and all of this stuff. And and the the actual pulling the trigger and, and firing on a target represents a very small slice of all of the stuff that that we do in the army. And you know, your average new soldier is getting pulled in a lot of different directions with trying to train for patrolling and remaining physically fit and and understanding you know some of the administration piece and all of that stuff. So what kind of training mechanisms, other than, you know, fostering that kind of mentality that you already talked about, what kind of training mechanisms are particularly applicable that you've seen during the marksmanship training process for CAFSAC versus the day-to-day -day marksmanship training that we see at the unit level and, uh, you know, in, in the schools and things like that? Like, what can we do better? Okay. The biggest difference between a 
Kasak training range or a unit range, if we're going to take those as the two comparison, um, I would say is the preparedness, the efficiency of the ranges, the maximum use of resources, and I'm going to kind of dive into that. So to me, the preparedness, or let's just look at it side by side. So let's say you're going to your unit PWT3 range. What ends up happening is you get off the bus, you get to the range, you do your TOATs, uh, and then you're going to get your range brief. Afterward, let's say today there's 50 shooters on the range, and everyone's been there. It might take anywhere from 8 hours to 12 hours to get these 50 people qualified on PWT3. You do your 20 rounds at 100 meters for your sighters, and then you go back, you shoot your 49 rounds for your test, your PWT3, and then you're done. As soon as you're done, you don't get to see your targets. Hopefully someone at the end of the day will say, hey, Corporal so-and-so, you scored X. Corporal so-and-so, you scored Y. You may or may not actually get that information. So over the course of, let's say, you know, an eight-hour day, the shooters fired 69 rounds and had very little training value. Were they, was their win call correct? Were they hitting high? Were they hitting low? There hasn't been much coaching. It's been a check in the box. Then if you take that exact same amount of ammunition and exact same day at a shooting team range, what would end up happening, same start where you do your TOETs, you get your range safety brief, the efficiency of this range is amazing and maybe the best word, where time on trigger and time learning is maximized. So they're going to have a different relay system than what you've normally seen uh, on a PWT3 range, where as soon as you're done firing, you go down to the butts and you get to see every single shot that you made. You get to pull your little notepad, you get to see, okay, oh, I made this one call incorrectly at 300 meters, and you're going to have a couple coaches down there that are going to give you that coaching. So you're going to learn from the experience that you just went through. Um, and again, it's, it's the same day with the same amount of ammunition. It's just the mindset's a little bit different. Uh, and what you end up seeing is that the calf sack style ranges end up running much more quickly. So we could do a PWT3 with those same 50 people in two hours and get more training value out of it. But again, it's just that efficiency. So I guess uh, I've kind of identified a problem, but the solution to that to me is often you'll have the a young officer in charge of the range. So what you could do is have him or her paired with a young corporal or someone that has experience in the competitive shooting world to just to kind of help run the range. So again, if we were to pull back to my experience at my home unit, what ends up happening is say, hey, you know, Corporal Forte, you've got quite a bit of experience. Would you mind helping this junior officer run the range? So again, the officer is doing the um, Yeah, like the safety. administration. So you're doing the administrator of the range, but Corporal Forte is now helping with the the efficiency of the range to make sure that people are, you're not just firing rounds to fire rounds, you're firing rounds to be a training environment. So you can actually learn from your mistakes and you can kind of feast on your, your successes. Um, so it's just a small change that can easily happen that makes a world of difference. You know, when when you're working in these environments, whether it's calf sack and you're doing competition shooting or on a conventional unit range, uh, there's a lot of work that goes into it, getting things ready, getting your gear ready to go. Uh, if you're in competition, you're thinking competition and performance. If you're on a conventional range, then you're also perhaps concerned about doing your best. And there's a whole bunch of other tasks going on. It's a pretty demanding environment. And it's all very serious, heavy army stuff. How do you stay, you know, relaxed and, and loose in the face of these pretty intense situations? Yeah, I don't think a lot of people realize how mentally and physically taxing uh, shooting can be. So one of the things that I was, I was introduced to when I joined my team was if you score a perfect score, which is 50 out of 50, 
uh, you get an ice cream. And under no circumstances can you have ice cream unless you shoot a perfect score. So when you're at lunch or dinner, uh, after uh, just being on the range and you see someone have an ice cream, everyone on the team's like, holy holy shoot, man, like, good job. It just, it fosters that positivity. And another thing is that we've always preached that you're not shooting against the other shooters. The reality is if I shoot my absolute best and I come in dead last, I've shot my best. I can't control what other shooters are doing. So that's something we try to foster on a team as well, where you're shooting against yourself. So just because, you know, Corporal so-and-so fired 20 points higher than you, that's not in your control. You do your absolute best that day, and that's one of our tools to try to keep morale high is that you're in your own, you're kind of the bus driver of your own shooting journey. I like that. That's a, that sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have any uh, closing points before uh, we wrap this thing up? Yeah, I think I just want to say that I'm very fortunate to have had uh, a long and s- relatively successful shooting career, and a big part of that has been the kind of the behind the scenes work on people who administrate CAFSAC. Through that, it's allowed me to travel internationally to go back to my unit as a, you know, as a relative SME and to help disseminate information. But again, if it wasn't for CAFSAC, there's no way uh, my career would be where it is today. So I'm definitely just feeling very grateful. Well, thanks a lot to Corporal Valcour. Really uh, appreciate you taking the time to talk to us about this stuff. For those listening at home, uh, don't forget to subscribe. Give us your ideas either through the email address on the podcast notes on the Canadian Army social media platforms such as Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Thanks again. Thanks for having me, sir. Stay frosty. Welcome to the after credits scene where we discuss acronyms. Cue classical music. TOATs. Test of elementary training. PWT3. Personal weapons test. Level 3. NCOs. Non-commissioned officers. CAFSAC. Canadian Armed Forces Small Arms Concentration. SME. Subject Matter Expert. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>